So up today uh, would be flight limitations. And I know this is going to be kind of a touchy subject. And, you know, the 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 going practice is going to be change is bad. And actually, Stephen, I, I were just talking about that. But, uh, you know, and but what would you. You OK over there? <laughs> OK, so what would you. um feel about limitations on speed altitude already we're at uh, a 400 foot altitude limit um locations and beyond visual line of sight so let's talk about speed um what what do you feel should be the limitation on speed if uh the faa were to define that and for the simple reason of innovation uh, okay because if you don't have people pushing to achieve something it's not going to roll over to other facets uh military or just efficiency in motor design or i mean there's a million reasons why speed is good in a control when it's done correct okay so let's let's think of it so you're saying no limitations on speed so we should be able to go as fast as we want should there be certain conditions that are met to be able to go high speeds so for example should it be at an event should you have to have um you know some mitigating factor like you know obviously have a spotter if you're flying fpv because that's what the rules are but um what is should there be some kind of supervision? Should you have a clear track of land to go beyond, let's say, 100 miles an hour, um, you know, free from public intervention? You know, think about things like that. Has there, I mean, has any of this come up? Um... So it's, it's, it's coming up. So it's part of the FAA. They haven't defined this in the FAA reauthorization of 2018. But um, the only thing that the the definite limit right now uh, is uh, altitude and um, FBV requires a spotter. That's I what think, I thought. Um, um, I, I think they could put a reasonable, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, um, reasonable conditions uh, clause. And that reasonable conditions being defined as free from public interference and free from um, you're not going to pile drive into a building or, the, you know, somebody's car that's not a part of it. Uh, it's like X-Class right now. They they announced it. They clocked, uh, I think it was Zoe, doing 137 miles an hour. They said it over the loudspeaker. Right. She's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I, I was going 99.9 miles an hour. Yeah. I think that it's ridiculous because if you get hit by an X-Class doing 100 or 140, it's not going to matter. Right. So, okay. Isn't there something, uh, a speed limit rule for driving cars where it's uh, based on the conditions? Whatever safe for so the I know and prudent. Right. And, and that's, uh, I believe that was up in Montana, if I remember correctly. And I believe that finally went away. I'm not 100%, so please don't quote me well, on I it. I still think there's something else, like if it's heavy rain or snow or something, and you're even driving the speed limit, you can be pulled over because it's unsafe right. for the conditions. 
I think they call it too fast for conditions, and I always thought that was just a blanket excuse for them to pull you over. No, it's driving um, in danger. I got, I actually beat one of those. I was doing eighty-five, <laughs> and I was doing eighty-five and a forty in the snow on a bike. Okay. <laughs> so, so I guess Did what I was trying that? to say is, if there could be something more vague like that, that's whatever is safe for the current conditions you're in or place you're at. Okay. So Correct. safe and prudent for current conditions, right? Yeah. And yes, you can, used to on, stay you reasonable can get caught on YouTube. Reasonable and prudent. There you go. Yeah, that's what they used to, Steins used to say that anyway. Okay. So, um, to be honest, yeah. go ahead. Uh, to be honest, I feel like one of the greatest problems is that it's hard to regulate these things. Uh, I really feel like the FAA should come up with a solution on regulation first. But that's my personal thoughts so they have been holding webinars with law enforcement uh branches of law enforcement um to kind of educate them and i sat in on one of these uh, or one of those webinars and um there's a lot of good information passed around and um they talked about enforcement and they are enforcing um okay they um it it really depends on on the situation but the the first enforcement case of a of a UAS actually um, was Trappy. Uh, oh. He was flying a wing at I think the in Virginia at a college, and uh, they tagged him for I think flying over vehicles or something like that. And this was way back when I think it was like 2012 or 2014, and um, and. But since then, they have have they've got cases in progress. They've got cases that they've you know basically um, enforced, um, and a lot of it's coming down to um, to be honest with you, it's 107 pilot. Um, it's 107 pilots not being registered correctly. They're not registering their drones correctly because 107s you have to register each individual aircraft. Um, and, uh, but there are other cases where, you know, rules are getting violated and they are prosecuting. Now, are they prosecuting consistently? No. Are they prosecuting an enormous amount of cases? No, but they are, they are, they are enforcing these. And so, not that it matters, but I think Trappies was in New York, if I remember right. You might be right. Um, um, but let's say they did set a speed limit of 100. For most of us hobbyists, we don't really have an idea of how fast we're going. So that would be a, a challenge to know how fast you're going and stay w under that speed. Yeah. yeah, and that does make it difficult. I mean, you can you can kind of do the math after the fact by taking GPS coordinates and, and whatnot, but... Um, well, yeah, the, the best the I've been able to do the, is um, chase a car on the highway. Too. Yeah. Kind of the same thing with altitude, too. I mean, I don't know how high I am. I have a general yeah, idea. that's true. What 400 I mean, I... feet is, and to me, that's way too high for FPV. Plus, I'm like, <laughs> up in the mountain. But, you know. But that's where the, uh, ignorance isn't plausible denied, or ignorance isn't deniability of of knowing the law. Um, if oh, I, no, I wouldn't like, plead like, ignorant. I, I would say I was 399 or I was at 99. <laughs> but yeah, there's no way I'd plead ignorant. <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, I think it's coming up on the part of time where they, if they are going to start enforcing these, 
um, we have to have a way of knowing, hey, where is this height? I mean, a barometer right. is so easy to enable. Yeah, um, and there, I mean, if OSD. you, yeah, and if you, they sell them individually that you can just tag onto a UART. The Radix itself has, I have a quad with the Radix in it. It's got a barometer built into it. Um, I, I would say that if you are in danger, or, or I guess if your intent is to go high with something, let's say you're flying a wing or, you know, you've got a long range quad, um, and your intent is to go high with it. I think your intent should be to put a barometer on it so that you know how high you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would, same thing if I was looking at speed runs, I mean, I would definitely set up the quad to be able to measure that. Right. Um, it, but outside of that, yeah, I, 99, I mean, a hundred miles an hour is pretty dang fast. And, um, I highly doubt that I'm going to be doing that either in racing or freestyle. You know, that's right. kind of a drag thing. You'd be surprised how fast you get going, how quick. Like I, <laughs> even today, I flew a golf, uh, I flew a golf course on 5S with uh, really tall props, and it, it's like the guy was asking me, he's like, "How fast are you going?" I'm like. I, I don't know. I don't have any way to tell you. And he's like, that was a five, because I just went straight down a fairway. It was a 550-yard par five. And it it didn't take very long for me to get past the green from the tee box. And honestly, how fast it would go. Yeah, and honestly, there are, um, you'd be surprised, depending on your aircraft. So um, I was lucky enough to sit in with a uh, guy's name's Ryan and he was attempting to break the speed record for a, a multi-rotor. And um, we were doing a bunch of tests and, and uh, we were actually trying to set records. We had, I don't know, 10 people in attendance there trying to witness this thing. And um, I took my helix. He wanted to see how fast my helix could go. And one of the criteria for, uh, or one of the uh, records was fastest vertical to 100 meters. And so I took my Helix with a 5S battery on it, just, a, you know, nothing special. I think I had uh, Lumineer uh, um, 25 or 2450 motors on it with a 5S battery, and I got to 100 meters in 2.7 seconds. So... I mean, I don't know what the math is on, on miles per hour, but um, that's pretty dang quick. And then he was able to break it the next day at 1.7 seconds. So, you know, you can get these things going faster than you think you can. And, you know, de depending on how light you build them, the power power of the motors you put on them, all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, I mean, I understand that, but I, I always look at that, too, as... Um... Uh, you know, you're typically not going to get pulled over if you're in the passing lane doing a quick pass and you, oh, you know, for very briefly or 20 over the limit. Because right. Because you have to make a safe. So, I mean, how often are we going to be punching at 130 for, you know, like 10 For sustained periods of time, right, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I get you. Right. So, you know, and, and it may be a case where, you know, how are they going to judge how fast we were going? The only way... That that would, I mean, they would, to me, that they would be able to kind of track that as if we were all required to use the UTM, you know, and have some kind of transponder or, or something in our quads that would allow UTM to track us. I mean, thoughts on that? 
I am okay with the transponder as long as I can put PGP on it. What's PGP? Pretty good privacy. You know, basically, oh, if, I can, gotcha. if I can run like AES or whatever. So in other words, yeah, I got it. I'm broadcasting it. You ain't going to get it until you get my key. Right. Gotcha. That makes sense. All right. So now let's look at altitude. Should 400... Um... <laughs> Yeah, we can't hear you building your quad, Tired Fire. <laughs> Can you mute when you're not talking? All right, sure. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Um, so should 400 feet be the altitude of limit? And, you know, why or why not? I don't think it should be because, I mean, if you're going to – it's already a moot point with – military helicopters with no TFR flying at 200 feet. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of like, okay, cool. I can fly. We, I've had that issue at my house because they'll come from Boston down to Cape Cod and they'll go right over the trees. And they think it's funny that they're skimming over the trees and they're hauling ass. It's like, well, I'm out there flying and those trees are only a hundred feet tall. <laughs> so if I hit, if I hit the helicopter, and I didn't hear it because they're meant to be as quiet as possible and they're hauling ass. So the sound doesn't travel that fast. It's my fault. Even though I'm within, I have a spotter. I have my FAA number on my quad. I'm observing all rules. They weren't, but who's going to say? All they have to say is, oh, we were 400 feet. Right. Yeah, like Bruce Simpson would say, <laughs> if once hey, manned aircraft sure. starts... Uh, obeying those limits and get fines for flying too low, then maybe we'll start obeying those limits. Yep. Right. But they do have black box zone. It's very easy to tell whether they're telling the truth or not. Yeah. That's that is true. But at the same time, you know, I I, I feel like I I see the point that you're making, Gravy, and I I I kind of agree with it that you know they have rules, we have rules. Everybody should be you know keen to follow them for the safety of everybody i mean not that i think and i don't know what type of helicopters i'm going to assume blackhawks or something if they're flying if your drone impacts a blackhawk i hardly think anything's going to happen to it but at the same time you know they're inviting that they're invading airspace that they shouldn't be in and um that creates a problem for for people enjoying the use of that airspace, whether it's a kite or a drone, you know. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think whether it's public opinion, media, or governing bodies, they're always going to take manned aviation right. over hobby. No, and I I, yeah, I understand they're gonna, that they're gonna they're gonna sweep it under the rug if you know if me Joe Schmo flying in my backyard is flying at 200 feet and a helicopter plugs me and I'm not breaking the law, they're going to say, oh, a drone hit us at 400 feet. Doesn't The black box doesn't matter. They're going to get reprimanded. But, I mean, realistically, people in the mil military flying around doing stuff, they're definitely going to take precedent over one dude. Yeah. And I, res and I respect the military. I'm not, believe me, I, right. I wish I had joined. I'm not saying that that's like, oh, 
you know, there's something bad, but it's just no. the way it's going to be. Yeah. What I was I saying, though, from. is that it, it, if nothing came of it, you're right, it would be slipped under the rug. If that thing went down, uh, damage or whatever, um, it doesn't matter who's in the right, that only Bruce is going to be putting a video out about that. The rest of the media is going to say, Toy drone took down Black Hawk helicopter. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, so, so it, go ahead. Um, uh, G airspace is technically 700 uh, feet AGL, right? What's that? Uh, G class G airspace is technically 700 feet. In some locations, airspace. in some locations. So, so um, I'd have to find the map again. Actually, I think I have it handy. Give me one second. I'll drop it in Discord. So I believe it's in some locations. In most mm -hmm. locations, it's 400. In others, it goes up to seven. So uh, let me see if I can find this. So if, if I remember right, in the past, before yeah. the Reauthorization Act, there actually wasn't any limit for hobbyists on how high they could fly. And now we're in that middle no, ground where they're trying to add the 400 feet and Excuse they sort of me. had, but sort of Final haven't. FinalCutPro.app needs right. your attention. Let's see. Keep talking, y'all. I'm, I'm pulling it up here. What is the, if you, if you can see it when you pull that up, um, don't they have, doesn't the military have a, uh, as long as they're on one of their, um, oh, training routes or something like that yeah you're right the, the air maps have those training areas the, the designated flying zones marked off there right. too that's right. part of the part 107 right. that they, you learn they, i think um I, I remember seeing it in there i just don't remember how low those go and i i, I almost want to say that they they're, go down below 400 I believe they're complete no-fly zone, like the training routes, and I think you're also talking about the route. There's a route that they just altered, and that was part of the, or one of the uh, examples they used for the Reauthorization Act. Uh, I believe it's going from Jersey or Washington up to New York, and they used to go up to Hudson, but now they're going a different route. That's like a, a con. Okay, so whoever said that it goes up to 700 feet, you are correct. I forgot that uh, they said 400 to give a 300-foot window of avoidance between the airspace, between Class G and Class E airspace. So, yes, you are correct. There are some locations where it does go up to 1,200 feet, um, but those are, I believe those are generally rural locations, and then there are even some... Uh, where it goes up to looks like 1450. Yeah, so, I might be in one of those areas in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. <laughs> that's uh, you might be. Um, a good place to check is if you go on the FAA's website, um, they have uh maps of the airspaces and what's allowed, limits on what's allowed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, um, you are right. It does go up to 700 feet, but they wanted 300 feet of clearance between objects in Class E and Class G. So, well, this, uh, I mean, they could they could have something where you just have to you don't have to have a 107, but you have to have a certification or something saying, "Hey, I know what I'm doing. 
I, I can read a map. I know where it's safe and where it's not. I can read the, the airspace grid. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that should almost negate the... I mean, then you could go up to 1,200, or you could go up to, say, a 9. Uh, it's just, like, above ground level doesn't really pick much because when certain airports, you know, they're taking off and they have to cruise at a low altitude because already such a high elevation, they're taking off at 15,000 feet or 10,000 feet. Yeah. So above AGL, you're talking you know, a couple hundred feet up. I know that's a special case, but this can't have a blanket height. Which right. I mean, there's a big difference between 400, well, which there is a big difference, but yeah, there is a big difference. But um, as a general rule, and I, I think you were on this uh, webinar, Dan, as well. They were talking about the different classes of airspace, and you know, as you go over a mountain, you're required uh, an airplane, a manned airplane, is required to maintain a certain height over that 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 mountain. So, I mean, if you're standing on the side of a mountain. 400 feet above ground level is where we can fly, whether you're on a mountain or you're down at sea level. So, um, I mean, that's that's what they're giving us for the airspace. And I think anything beyond that, you have to get clearances for. You have to, you know, submit um, an exception to, to be able to fly there. So, you know, uh, and I know the AMA is working on this because it takes out some of the the model airplanes that a lot of their their members use um for soaring and stuff like that and um but i don't know where they're at with that i haven't seen or heard anything in the news in a long time on that i don't know if anybody else has i i haven't that was one thing i was going back to also like back in the day thinking about flying carbon gliding is you're you're up there and you're I mean you're up there for a long time so you need some height to get towed up so 400 feet to like the difference between 400 feet AGL and 700 feet or 12 even 1200 feet AGL um what's that it wasn't FV back but let's say it was I mean if you're at 1200 you're tripling your flight so it's you know incrementally more fun safe because you're in the proper air Right. I see where they're go. I see why the AMA is definitely that. Excuse me. All right. So let's see. now, you know, should let let's look at this in terms of uh, going back to flight limitations. So altitude. If you're in a, should there be different rules? based on where you're flying at. So if you're in an unpopulated area, should your heights be higher? If you're in a populated area, should we be restricted to, you know, whatever the the grid location is in that particular area? Um cuz while there is a 400 foot um height height limit, there are certain areas where the limit is zero. Like you cannot fly in that grid and that would be, you know, uh, something in a TFR or a NOTAM or just a permanent, you know, no-fly zone. But on the flip side, you know, there are other areas where it's 100 feet, it's 200 feet. If you look at uh, the grid maps, um, it'll tell you what's allowed there. 
So, you know, should it be different um, in those areas? Should there be less restrictions in, you know, rural areas or let's say out in uh, the middle of nowhere, the wilderness, whatever you want to call it? Just because you're in, just because you're in the wilderness doesn't necessarily negate uh, certain activities going on. I think you have to be aware of what airspace you're in. I mean, there's military bases that are in the middle of nowhere, and they're kind of there for, they're kind of there for reasons, or they have training areas where low altitude stuff takes place. Okay. So you wouldn't necessarily. You still have to be aware of your your surrounding airspace where you're going to fly, and you have to be aware of whether those training areas are active or whether there's any notams relative to something that may be occurring. Do you think it's easier to just say blanket? This is this is your altitude, like what's going on now. This is your altitude. Beyond that, you need to you know get an exception. Well, I, yeah, and I and here's so here's the reasoning behind that for those that are going to disagree and disagreeing is great. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if just, just from the aspect of having to put together an exam and people having to take an exam to get, uh, potentially get a license for a hobbyist, right? If we have to, if we have to now start teaching everyone how to read airspace charts uh aerospace charts and and access all of that information and understand it you might as well just make it a everybody's gonna have to take a 107 exam because that's the hardest parts those are the those are the parts that are the most difficult to pass in that exam um are reading those charts and and some of the weather stuff and and other things otherwise you know a lot of it is really uh, stuff that's pretty common sense and pretty common knowledge, but uh, when you have to be able to start reading and interpreting and finding things on those charts, that gets pretty challenging. Yeah, it does. Uh, and uh. and then in order to do that, um, you know, in order to do that, it requires um, a significant amount of studying. And so then now we come into that whole aspect of We've got that group of people that we want to retain as hobbyists, the, uh, the young kids, the people who don't have the time to sit down and study all that uh, extensive time um, to understand these types of, of charts. Um, you know, learning that is not something you do in 45 minutes. And right. the exam then becomes much longer as well. The longer an exam is, the more difficult it is to take and pass. So uh, as an example of what Dean was talking about, I threw in a, uh, an airspace map. Um, so this is kind of what he's talking about, learning to read these and uh, what they mean. So just as an example there. Um, yeah, and, and so, I mean, if you, if you look at these, there's, there's all kinds of stuff on here that unless you've been taught, you don't know how to read, uh, you know, just, just examples here. There's... Um, there's various levels of airspace. There's military uh, training areas. Um, you've got to be able to, you know, this this is one here. So this is one of this. This is like the busiest chunk of 
one of the busiest chunks of airspace in the country. Dallas Fort um, Worth area. Dallas Fort Worth. <laughs> you know, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't pick more of a nightmare, right? And and so, how many airports are there within this thing? And when you take a 107 exam, they purposely will always throw you a question about this airspace so that you um, have to be able to determine, okay, this little airport that's over here. Um, so if you if you look up just one that's easy, if you look up in the upper left-hand portion, there's Denton Airport. So that's part of the that, that has its own airspace, which is also overlaying um, at least three other pieces of airspace. Mm-hmm. No, you know how to separate the question that they ask you. Um, relative to what they tell you. Are you specifically, you know, you're two miles south of this airport, what kind of airspace are you in? Or if you're 10 miles, you're outside of that ring, now you're in uh, now you're in Dallas-Fort Worth airspace, and then how high are you? And, you know, it, it's, it, it becomes much more of a challenge. Yeah, it does. So, you know, you know teaching someone to do that is... A, a whole lot harder really than saying okay we're happy with 400 feet because we want we want to retain the number of people that are that that can become involved in this hobby and and they don't have to take a test that they're gonna study for have to pay for a class to to get through and then you know how many times are people going to go back if they fail it twice right you know it's expensive to take no matter what it is, it's gonna it's gonna have a fee with that, you know. No matter who administers it, somebody's got to be the, you know, you're gonna have to pay a, a test testing service to administer it, um, and it just makes it it just makes it difficult. And I think as much as we might like that, is it worth it? But yeah. Well, that's why I was kind of saying it. I wasn't saying it that everybody should have it. I was saying it more as a, um, it's almost like achievement unlocked. You you fly up twelve hundred feet because you know your airspace, but you don't have a because you have need for it uh, for everything. So it's the general hobbyist can go out and fly, stay inside of four hundred feet, and I mean general hobbyist should have some working knowledge of flight, airports, stuff like that. Um, but if you do this, you, you have a certificate that, oh, you're flying at 600 feet. No, it's okay. Here's No, I have a certificate. You just have a screenshot phone or you can produce that in, in the future because you don't carry it with you. You know what I mean? It's just something like that, like just that there's a way to say, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's He's got the certificate and he passed this so that it's okay for him. And this goes not just for FPV. This also, I mean, this might be a way that, you know, like the AMA would be able to work something in uh, where it's just the certificate. You can, you can go, there's hundreds of testing centers for the 107 uh, test to scale it down to that one portion of having it just be general airspace knowledge, I really don't see it being a huge, like a huge undertaking to just restructure the test to, to one part that's already in existence. 
It, it is. It it means rewriting the exam and 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 having yet an, and having yet another exam out there. So somebody's got to write it. Somebody's got to approve it. So so I think gravy where you're kind of going with this, and I I come back to um, we kind of talked about this last week, but to amateur radio like ham radio licenses. So there's multiple levels. You know, you got a technician class and a general class and, and whatnot. You're talking about basically being able to test into higher privileges is basically what you're saying, right? Yeah, maybe just a blanket 107 isn't good for because it's a dynamic hobby. It is constant. It's, look how much it's changed in three years. Right. So maybe there is, I mean, it is a hard test. Uh, I've been studying for it. It's not fun. But if you if you want to be able to fly and do that, then you should know what you're doing up there. Even though it is technically still Class G airspace, but it's it's still a safety concern. Obviously, that's why we're restricted to 400 and not 900, which is the 300 foot buffer zone. Uh, so maybe I mean maybe you just take a test, and that way you you prove proficiency. You know how to read it, and you can go out and. You know, you can be safe at a higher level than they originally thought was necessary. Okay, I see where you're going. Um, okay, so all in all, how do you, how do you, in an optimal world, in a perfect world, how do we integrate effectively as hobbyists with both commercial UAVs and full-scale aviation? What, what does that requirement look like to you guys? Is there one? Um, how how do we get along with everybody? Personally, they stay out of my airspace. I'll stay out of theirs. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's a perfect valid, perfectly valid uh answer. Yeah, no, I realize that's not realistic, but still, I I don't know. I I'm just thinking. My daughter is interested. I just want to have her help me build a quad, get her on the sim and go out and fly. I don't want to have to do anything else with her. I don't, I mean, later on, if she really gets into it, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll teach her some rules of the skies type of thing. But until then she's under my supervision. I, she shouldn't have to worry about any of that crap. Right. Okay. Any, any other comments on that? Well, I think that's, I think that's a valid, I think that's a valid step system to have if you uh, if you have a pilot in training and they're under the direct supervision of um, of someone who is experienced and has whatever qualifications. So you know they're gonna you know they're they're tasked to FAA's tasked to have this. Um, to have some sort of a hobbyist level exam. Um, so as long as the person that that is able to take control of that uh, of that aircraft should a problem occur or is there to tell the person, hey, you need to, you know, you're, you're too far away, you're too high, you're whatever, you're about to violate um, a, a, a rule. Um, you know, I think there's, I, I think that's a great, space to have because then we don't have to worry about um you know about kids needing to learn how to build a quad and fly a quad and 
and then pass the test before you can go out and have your first flight, right? Um, but then that's then that's different. Now you're under now you're under the guidance, kind of like they do with uh, 107 pilots. The the pilot in charge does not necessarily have to be the person at the controls, but they do have to be the response. They do have person. to have the ability to yeah, and have the ability to to take over the flight if necessary. I think that's reasonable for certain levels of or classes of UAVs. However, at the same time, I think a tiny whoop, a nano QX, or any of those little cheap ass uh, air, air hogs or whatever, shouldn't there shouldn't be no requirements around that at all. In other words, you buy it at Best Buy, go fly it. I'm not talking about the uh, video ones, but yeah, it's, does anybody know the Blade, Blade Nano QX? Yep, I learned that's, on a Hudson that's, 107. That's not going to hurt anything. <laughs> that's not going to hurt anybody. Now you might you might kill a mosquito with it, but that's about it. <laughs> you know, so Heads there's up, no barrier to entry there. Right, and but, and I don't think there exists a barrier there right now. I I think that's why under 250 grams we don't have to register anything. Um, I don't think anybody's going to beat up on a kid flying a Nano QX. You but know? Does that, However, the current regulations I mean, I have no definition a month of that. Or so ago and you're right. That, that, that 250 wasn't a thing like a month or two ago. So well, that's okay. So, yeah, in, in the FAA reauthorization, Dan is right. There is no size limitation on anything. There's no defined size that says under this, no regulations apply. I think they are kind of working on that with this latest, latest NPRM. They did call out different classes of... Um, of model aircraft being under 250 grams requiring uh you know not requiring anything uh to fly over people right, um, right. that kind of stuff now that that hasn't been integrated into anything yet so um but you know on the flip side you still have to register if you're over 250 grams so we've kind of got this mishmash of regulation happening right now and um, one thing wasn't called out in the the FAA, but it's called out in having to register. So you know, it's it's you know, I I, I don't feel like I don't feel like the the FAA is going to be beating people up over a 250 gram quad. And I don't think oh. anybody here would would disagree with me. But at the same time, you know, I I like the approach of you know, flying under an experienced pilot. I learned on a Hubson 107, which is basically, you know, a Nano QX, but, um, you know, and I flew it in the house for probably a month before I felt comfortable taking it outside. And, you know, I mean, that's... Oh, I, I flew it in the house the first time, went right up into the ceiling, and then I wouldn't go back in the house until I was comfortable. <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, ironically, you know, I'm building a 250 class quad. I mean, a 250, 250 gram quad right now. Nice. Purpose, actually, because uh, I don't want to have to deal with all the issues. Yeah, and I mean, so keeping keeping things under 250 grams, I think, in, in one regard, I think there's going to be a, a minor explosion in that once some, th some of these regulations drop. But at the same time, that's going to be a severe limit to innovation, you know. Well, and... 
Well, arguably, gonna, actually, things are going to explode on the 16 by 16. <laughs> 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 Maybe we'll start seeing some, you know, uh, bigger black box capability chips, you know, but smaller package. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, arguably, this ahead. actually would encourage innovation. What, what were you saying, Tired? Arguably, this would actually encourage innovation as well because it encourages uh, manufacturers to try putting things into a smaller form factor. I would agree with you there. Um, I, I Honestly, I have nothing to say to that. I think you make a point there. Um, anybody else? Can't shrink my life preservers. <laughs> Is it me or a lot of people having internet connection issues tonight? I think it's yeah. Uh, I know I am. Um, and uh, all right. So last question, guys. Um, what do you see? And and this may be seem like a repeat question, but what do you see as necessary to fly beyond visual line of sight long range? What do you see that we will need to do in order to do that comfortably? You know, not and, and do it safely and um stay in front of any potential regulations that might be coming down. So, I guess some definitions here. What do you so beyond visual line of sight, are you do you mean hey I don't need a spotter now? Because you know, I'm all for that even if I'm flying at the park. Because then I don't want to I don't want to have to bring a spotter along. Okay. So um, if that falls under, you know, the vi beyond visual line of sight rules. <laughs> So think of it this way. Your face is in the goggles, therefore you don't have direct line of sight to your quad or, or to your plane or whatever it is you're flying. So think of it as in terms of that. Think of it in terms of being able to fly long range. I want to go cruise up the, the mountainside. Um, literally so all-encompassing. All-encompassing, right. yeah. Just think of it from an all-encompassing perspective. What do you see as necessary from a hobbyist perspective of being able to do those things. I could certainly see a, a size or weight limit. Like if it's less than 250 grams or if it's less than 100 grams, why can't you fly without a spotter beyond visual line of sight? Because it's not going to do anything, not going to do any harm. Right. Along those same lines, though, you can also borrow from other sports, possibly, like, uh, uh, I don't know if anybody lives on a lake, but there's lake etiquette, you know, uh, you can't have motorcraft creating wakes beyond a certain time because it, uh, you know, the fishing goes all to hell then. Um, or even look at, like, uh, different kind of watercrafts and surfing. So if you've got a, uh, you know, certain types of boards, um, just aren't suited for anybody else in your line. So, um, you know, some of that just is, hey, if there's anybody around, you can't fly. If you got life to yourself, you're good. Okay. I think we brought this up once I mean, before, you know what too, I mean? but have another yep. level of testing. If you pass a certain test, you've proven that you can do something, maybe that's, I don't know, something you could use to say you can fly beyond visual line of sight if you pass this test. Right. Not really a fan of that, but maybe that's something that would work. Okay. Or or maybe diversity, the diversity modules, you know, where you have a, a backup link so that you're technically... So, or, so or, kind of redundancy? Maybe, 
Yeah, there's that. Not exactly sure how that would all work. I mean, that that could just be a nightmare to navigate, but there's also, um, you know, maybe just something as simple as a return to home or, uh, or like the beta flight, which isn't return to home, but it's GPS rescue. Right. You know, you get you back within range, you can take control. Okay. Uh, Magic says, uh, required GPS module use. The one thing that I would, that would fit with like the return to home or GPS rescue. Um, but in terms of, um, I guess, I don't know where I'm going with that. I think it's a good idea um, having GPS on a quad, uh, especially now that they're getting smaller and smaller. Well, I guess the whole point is safety, right? I mean, that's yeah, absolutely. So you, you don't ever want to lose control of your craft. Uh, safety meaning you, you don't want to hurt somebody. And you don't want to interfere, obviously, with uh, man deviation. So, um, I mean, I want to stay real far away from any, like, transponder-type things. but um, Or, you know, the ability of someone else to take control. Um, unless it's a redundant radio where my buddy next to me, you know, the, that falls within the diversity category. <laughs> right. The buddy box-type thing. But, yeah, no. No... Um, I mean, that, I think that would just open up a can of worms if any law enforcement would have the ability to take control. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would trust anybody to be able to fly one of my quads, whether they were law enforcement or I have a hard time trusting my friends flying my quads. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> I mean, and, and most of you know this, I mean, they're built for the user. They're, you know, it serves my purpose. It may not you know, be controllable for somebody else. Well, especially if we're talking about if you're flying beyond line of sight, that means you're you're obviously going to need the FPV link to fly the thing, or how are you going to see where it is? Exactly. I mean, right now, I think I think the limiting factor there is um, the degradation of our of our our FPV link. Unless right. they, uh, unless, you know, you're, um, you're going to another frequency, but when you're talking about what we have, uh, currently 5.8, we've, we've got a limitation there. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's going to inherently uh, limit your distance. Um, but again, there's options out there for, you know, going further and further. So, um, but that's definitely you know, one cool. thing that I would be, and I forget what the system is called, but if I could go to a park or, or you know, a typical flying spot, nobody around except maybe some potential flying buddies, whatever. If all I had to do was pull up my phone, hop on air map, put in a request to say, here's how high, here's my location, here's how long I'm going to fly. Here's how high I'm gonna go, and it it more or less is 99% of the time, um, you know, approved outside of you know no tams and other things. Now, I would use system. Yeah, yeah, system. I would yeah. I would use that. I would use that every single time if I didn't have to bring a freaking spotter. Okay. And I might be way off base here, but I feel like the FAA when they talk about beyond visual line of sight, they're 
focusing their regulations on stopping things like Amazon from willy-nilly designing their package delivery drones and they're worried about you know corporations and long super long range automated flights like that that are beyond visual line of sight not so much us hobbyists with our goggles on right. flying in a park which would be great right. if that was just they're, they're, blanket I agree, but allowed. I can easily see that extending to us as well I guess so they're they're certain I, I don't think they're gonna it's just because of the financial interest in this let's face it the the you know the uh, the Amazons of the world have got a whole lot more, uh, a whole lot bigger uh, uh, wallet to uh, uh, to lobby this uh, legislation than we're ever going to have. Right, and, and uh, I get where you're coming from with that. And I think I think part of it is 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 keep in mind the FAA's mandate: it's safety for the airspace. And um, I think. Dan, I think you're partially correct. I think they are more focused on, you know, long, long range delivery systems and, and whatnot. They're not, I wouldn't say they're hyper focused on hobbyists or, or anything flying beyond visual line of sight. But at the same time, they have, you know, rules like having a spotter. They, you know, in order to maintain that visual on your aircraft and so that um, if, you know, John Q. Public starts walking into your flight space or, a car comes through, they can notify you of those obstacles to basically keep people safe. Or, you know, obviously if there's a manned aircraft entering your area, you know, uh, even, even more so. So, um, but, you know, I think they're, they're first and foremost is safety of everything that's, that's entering their space. And, um, but I think you're right. But on that same token and to kind of wrap things up here, cause we're at our hour, um, if you guys click that link I gave you, um, FAA just gave approval to uh, drone delivery in Virginia, I believe. So, um, so that's happening. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that concerns me, of course, with that is you know just the lobbying, but their lobbying potential versus uh, hobbyists, but also. Right. Oh, we don't need these air maps getting any more freaking complicated to know about drone, um, you know, uh, flight lines. <laughs> no, I, I get you. And I mean, the, the, the hard part about this is, is that according to the article, they're going to be literally dropping packages from these things and that those flight paths are going to change depending on whose house they're going to go to. Mm-hmm. And well, um, if they're about 400 feet, put a parachute on it. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun to chase. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to figure out um, as this kind of develops where, how high, you know, where they're going to be flying, what airspace they're going to be flying in, what altitude, what speeds. Um, are they going to be required to, you know, stick to specific airspace lanes? Um, it's kind of kind of hard to think about that but if anybody's seen uh um star wars you, you've seen the lanes in the airspace above planets and stuff but um you know are they going to be restricted to those types of areas and then you know diverge once they get close to a house or you know what's what what's going to be the case there so um this article from bloomberg doesn't really say anything about that but um this is going to be rolling out in the next couple of months so uh, we'll have to right. keep an there's eye just, on it. 
Yeah, there's just not much, not much detail in it. I saw it, and uh, uh, I guess my, um, I know we're up on time here. My on this that the the FAA, as it stands and as it's funded right now, the last thing they, uh, the last thing they want is more airspace and more aircraft that they've got to control. If you start adding in a whole bunch of package delivery, and now they've got to manage that airspace as well, and uh, and it you know we then unfortunately become an additional load as well because uh, if you you know if package delivery is obviously going to have to be 400 feet and below, now that's our <laughs> yeah I like the picture uh, and. And now, you know, now we're going to be in that area too. So now, uh, I guess my concern is, I see this moving towards everyone with transponders so that they have a way of monitoring it. And then with monitoring, they got to figure out a way to pay for it. And, you know, that's going to fall back to either, um, you know, taxpayers and other interested parties in the whole thing and um, you know I mean so there's there's privacy issues there's financial issues and there's airspace issues and I think the last thing the FAA wants is more things to manage and well and that's going to come uh, down to law enforcement too I mean law enforcement to be honest I don't think is even capable of enforcing some of the regulation right now well, they they can't they can't keep up they can't keep up with the calls on the ground in most areas. So they, the, believe me, I I I, uh, I have had a lot of interaction with law enforcement, and I have got a, a number of good friends that are that are ranking officers in law enforcement, and the last thing they want is um, calls to deal with airspace issues, drone issues, airspace issues. You know, they're stacking up. They're stacking up actual crimes in progress um, and taking those by priority. They don't have the time to be regulating airspace. Right. No. Yeah. And I, you know, counties in the state of Wisconsin, we got five deputies at night. Five. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, Boy, are you in, uh, are you in Dane then or what? <laughs> no. No, well, I'm. Uh, Washington. Oh, uh, West Bend area. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm over in Sheboygan County, so there you go. Okay. So I think a lot of uh, you know, I posted this up. Dan posted this up earlier. Um, but a lot of the you know unmanned traffic is probably going to be managed by private companies, and um. So give that a read. Um, I know a lot of UTMs are are being developed by private companies so that the FAA doesn't have to manage it, but the UTMs will then report back to the FAA. So um, it's it's going to be interesting how this stuff kind of rolls out. And um, I don't want to take up. still going to have to write the check for it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and if you're an Amazon customer or um you know a customer taking deliveries from uh wherever you're getting your crap from they're going to be the ones paying for it you know there's going to be 
you know, an increase. I, in I mean, corporate wise, corporate wise, I don't give a shit who pays Amazon's bills. Um, right. What I care about is what is going to be tacked on. What's it going to cost me then? Um, what am I going to have to stick on my drone um, to be able to go and have fun? Because if 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 that becomes a you know a two hundred dollar add on item, you know. Um, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, How many people is that going to take away from it, our, from our, 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 our group? It creates a cost bottleneck to the hobby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. I've said the same thing for a while. So, all right, guys, yeah. uh, good discussion. Um, we will pick this back up next week. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about um, the potential and I say that loosely, of the FPVFC developing an app similar to like Kitty Hawk or AirMap or something like that. So um, I've got some ideas for it, but I want to pass them by you guys, see what you think should be included in that, and uh, we'll kind of cover that next week. All right? Anything else before we go? Nope. Sounds good. Uh, all right. Well, good. you guys have a great evening, and I will talk to you all next week. Yeah. Catch you all next all week. Alrighty. All right, bye-bye.